Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. And today I have a brand spanking new friend. I've only talked to him one time about a book that he sent to me. Now I have to admit that being the mentor of aspiring writers and speakers, I get dozens of books in the mail every month and they usually uh, go on my shelf and maybe I'll send out a little Facebook post or tweet about somebody's, but every once in a great while, one really grabs my attention of, ooh, that book needed to be written. And Ari's is definitely one of these books. And so Dr. Ari Tuckman is the author of ADHD After Dark. The subtitle is Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. And just to give you a little better explanation of who he is, uh, Ari is a sex therapist and psychologist specializing in the diagnosis and treatment of ADHD in children and adults, a prolific writer and international presenter. This is his fourth book on ADHD, and he also hosts the popular podcast, More Attention, Less Deficit for Adults with ADHD. So Ari, welcome to Sexual Confidence on Tap. Thanks for being my friend today. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. And I know it took a bit of wrangling for us to get our schedules lined up. So uh, so yeah, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, we've only worked on this for about a year trying to get you in the lineup. The reason that this particular book grabbed my attention is I have had clients where I've been working with them and recognized that, okay, there's something easily distractible about this person. And oftentimes the couple sitting in front of me, they're there oftentimes because he acted out. And I had read a report that there is a connection between sexual infidelity and ADD or ADHD. And so I hadn't done any research, but then all of a sudden, lo and behold, your book landed in my lap. And I was like, well, I don't have to do the research now. I'll have Ari on the show <laughs> to help us unpack this. And people associate ADHD with something that plagues children, but those children grow up and become adults and become married adults and become sexual adults. So mm -hmm. I realized that today's topic is, it, it may not be applicable to everyone on the planet, but for those people that it is applicable to, I hope that this is going to be tremendously helpful. So Ari, what got you interested in this field of study? Yeah. So let me actually start by saying, even if you don't have ADHD or your partner doesn't have ADHD, the lessons here apply to all couples. Um, and I sometimes say that ADHD doesn't invent new problems, it just exacerbates the universal ones. So okay. what we're gonna be talking about today, specific to couples with one ADHD partner, really just applies to everybody also. Um, but you know what got me interested in this is, I've been doing stuff on ADHD for like 20 years now. And a lot of it was about kind of practical thing. So getting places on time, being more organized, prioritizing, keeping track of things, staying focused, you know, like stuff, it's important, right? It is. Mm -hmm. But more and more, I became interested in how ADHD impacts relationships. And in particular, um, how it impacts a couple's sex life, because that's an important part of relationships. Yeah, and huge. Yeah, and it is. And that you know, kind of the theory is if couples doing well sexually and romantically and emotionally, it's a lot easier to deal with like the annoying kind of mundane nonsense of life of like, ugh, you left the milk out and now we don't have milk for breakfast. You know, like, okay, that's, that kind of sucks and it, it's a bummer, but like it doesn't need to be the start of a terrible day. You know, like if you're right. feeling good about each other and if things went well last night, it's a lot easier to be like, well, all right, now what? How do exactly. we deal with it? 
exactly. Yeah. When there's a sexual connection, that person can do all kinds of horrible things, but it's generally okay because the bigger picture relationship is okay. So continue. Yeah. So, you know, so I felt like as a therapist that we're neglecting this really powerful, important point of intervention that, you know, there's more to a happy couple than just like managing the business of the family, so to speak. And, you know, it's that really strong emotional connection that really kind of drives us in terms of relationships. And if we could help these couples who are already struggling more than many other couples on average, um, in this particular way, they're going to benefit in lots of other ways. And when mom and dad do better, the kids do better. Right. And by the way, if a parent has ADHD, there's probably a kid with ADHD or vice versa. If you got a kid with ADHD, pretty good shot. One of those parents has ADHD also. Right. You know, whatever the dynamic is when you have one partner with ADHD and one without, when you've also got a kid with ADHD or two, it really amplifies the dynamics there in terms of how the, the couple deals with each other, how they deal with each other in relation to the kids. So, um, so yeah, it really kind of, it, it, it multiplies whatever is going on there. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. We're, we're following you so far. So how does ADHD impact a person's sex life? So it's an interesting thing because, you know, as you might imagine, nobody's really taken that much of a look at this. I mean, a little bit here and there, but, um, but not really enough to guide us as clinicians in terms of what do I do with my next couple that walks into my office. Um, and what was really interesting to me was that, well, there are, there are a lot of things that came out of the research that I did, but one of the things that was really interesting to me is that I found that folks with ADHD compared to non, their non-ADHD partners tended to have much higher what I call sexual eagerness, which is kind of clumping together all sorts of stuff that basically speaks to sexual eagerness. So in other words, how often, you know, what is their desired sexual frequency? Um, How often do they masturbate? How often do they look at porn? How kinky would they say they are? Um, I looked at emotional infidelity as well as physical infidelity. So kind of going back to what you mentioned in the beginning here and you know how quick does it take them like how quickly do they get kind of engaged in a sexual experience um and folks with ADHD compared to the non-ADHD folks really you know across the board at um you know rated themselves much higher than the non-ADHD folks and in this case I compared guys with ADHD to guys without women with ADHD to women without because gender has as big an effect as ADHD status does. Mm -hmm. Um, So this becomes a real kind of mixed blessing for these couples. On the one hand, you know, we all know for long-term couples, it's hard to keep the excitement alive in that it takes intentional effort and you need to work at it. Um, So if you have someone who has that high sexual interest, that can be a real good thing for the couple, right? It keeps it from falling to the wayside. The downside of it is if one person's really up for it and one person's really not up for it, I know you've done a a couple episodes on desire discrepancy, Mm -hmm. right? It's just sort of like, ugh, another way that you've disappointed me or another thing that you're kind of on my case about. So if you use it well, it's a blessing. If you manage it poorly, it's a curse. Okay. And I can completely see how 
Well, let's kind of dissect it a little bit. But before we do that, let me back up even a step further. Some people listening may not really understand what ADD and ADHD actually is in the impact on the brain. So why don't sure. we back up and start there? Yeah, that's a good place to start. So, um, so ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Now, not everybody with ADHD has this sort of hyperactive impulsive symptoms. So those are sometimes called ADD. Um, they get used pretty interchangeably. Technically, it's ADHD inattentive type. But um, generally speaking, it's kids who are much more hyperactive. And if you're hyperactive as a kid, you probably become less hyperactive as an adult. But it's really more this sort of inattentive and impulsive symptoms that remain. So stuff like easily distracted, especially if something is boring, and yet hyper-focused and locked in when something is, is interesting, which might mean spending too long on things. Like um, video games or TV? Like, absolutely. Internet, um, you know, Reddit, Instagram, whatever, um, social media. Also, stuff like folks with ADHD often run late. They have trouble with time management. They tend to be big procrastinators, often disorganized, lose things, misplace stuff. Um, they forget to do things. So, oh, I'll, yeah, I'll clean up the kitchen tomorrow. Or, oh, I got to take the chicken out of the freezer and put it in the fridge so it's defrosted. Um, you know, kind of things like that. So this certainly affects schooling, you know, for kids. But as an adult, in some ways, it can be worse because when you're a kid, you got mom and dad to keep you on the rails. Right. And you can when use you're an adult, your kid as an excuse. Yeah. And when you're an adult, like, hopefully you don't want mom and dad to keep you still on the rails. And by the way, you definitely don't want your spouse to become mom or dad to keep you on the rails because that is not sexy. Yeah. Right? That is no fun. Because no one wants to have sex with their child and no one wants to have sex with their parent. And when you get that parent right. dynamic going, that's what you create. It's a killer. It just is, you know, like nobody enjoys that dynamic. So, you know, that in, in a way, and especially this is more true. This is where the gender piece comes in. It's more true when the guy has ADHD and the woman doesn't than the stereotype. And obviously every couple is different, but the stereotype is you get the sort of over-organized woman and then the ADHD well-intentioned, but kind of all over the place guy. And, you know, then, you know, he becomes another kid and the mom is like, dude, I got two kids. I don't, I don't need a third. I definitely don't want to have sex with you if I feel like I have to clean up after you all the time and hound you and get you to do stuff. And by the way, he probably doesn't want to have sex with her either because no one wants to have sex with a person who's criticizing them all the time. So that's the tug of war that so easily develops. And like, you know, it makes sense. Like you could see, like if someone is forgetful and disorganized and they procrastinate and they don't follow through despite good intentions, like you can understand why the other partner kind of takes over a bit and becomes sure. more controlling and a bit more critical and like frustrated to compensate. and disappointed. Because yeah. They to compensate yeah. for that partner's weaknesses. Right. And, you know, when you're two adults and life is a little simpler, maybe that's fine. Like, I'm generous. I love you. I can, I can do this. I'm a sport. Right. And then life gets harder and you get kids and they're throwing up all over the place and they're waking you up at night and then you're doing school from home. It's just like, dude, I don't got the bandwidth. Like, you got to take care of your own thing. I'm doing my thing and theirs. You got to take care of yours. Yeah. And it's just, you know, like we run out of steam at that point. Sure. 
Okay, so Ari, talk to me about why pornography is such a draw for the person with ADD or ADHD. Sure. So, you know, for all of us in the course of our days, there are boring but important things that we should do. And there are fun, interesting things that don't necessarily benefit us later, but are definitely more entertaining in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's true if you're a kid or if you're an adult, right? We all have this struggle between what's going to be most interesting right now versus what's going to benefit me later. And, you know, the as much as technology and the internet and everything has brought a lot of great good to the world, it's also made life harder because there's a lot more distractions. There's a lot more stuff that's really fun right now, but really a rather marginal benefit for the future. So... Mm -hmm. That's true for everybody. Folks with ADHD in particular have a harder time resisting the, the temptation of the moment. So that could be something like wasting time on Instagram. It could be going down a rabbit hole on Wikipedia or Reddit. Um, or alternatively, it could be, you know, jumping over to a porn site because, you know, it's pretty stimulating. And probably more interesting than most of the stuff that you have to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like loading the dishwasher, not more not interesting. So <laughs> not so much, right? Stuff you have to do at work, hopefully you feel fulfilled with your work and everything else, but let's be honest, not every moment is like, you know, a pinnacle of inspiration. So, mm -hmm. so if you're bored and you're looking for something a little bit more interesting, you're kind of having trouble get the, getting the wheels spinning, to get going on that work thing, it's really easy to just jump over and you know look at porn instead um, as just another thing that's more interesting than your work. Um, so there's kind of the boredom side of it or the mm -hmm. stimulation seeking side of it. But I think some of it potentially, and that's kind of like an individual thing, right? So that doesn't speak to the relationship or the couple's sex life at all. Mm -hmm. But there's also, you know, there's that kind of relationship sex life side, which is if you and your partner aren't getting along that well, then, you know, masturbation is a whole lot easier. Like masturbation is always easier than doing something with somebody else, right? Because you don't have to coordinate anything. You don't have to be nice to anyone. You don't have to pretend to listen to what they're saying. It's right. Super yeah. quick and easy. You don't have to negotiate or compromise or right. re read yeah, someone else's mind. You don't have to worry mind. about what they want. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so masturbation is always going to be easier. And, you know, there are those people who prefer to watch something while they masturbate. And porn is pretty easy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's one of those things where your partner is not really interested in that moment, but you are, or if you generally have a higher drive than they do, then, you know, masturbation can certainly fill in the, the, the difference, so to speak. And that can be a good thing because then you're not hounding your partner for sex they don't want to have. Right. Um, I think where it becomes problematic is when it becomes that path of least resistance. It's mm -hmm. easier to take care of business on your own than it is to actually deal with your partner about the stuff that's getting in the way of you guys doing things together. Right. Um, I would think that too, the more he or she satisfies herself, the less mm -hmm. motivation there is to really drum up the energy and the focus on your partner to make sure that they're satisfied too. I would think that it causes those two ships to drift further and further apart over time. Right. And it absolutely can be. And that, you know, definitely there are some folks where it, 
you know, it's just sort of the, the divide just increases and the less sex you have, the less, you know, intimacy in general that you have, the harder it is to kind of make that, make that reach and, you know, connect again. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's sort of interesting in the, in the research that I did for the book, it, it, there's a little bit of a sort of both ways sort of a thing here in that there are some people who masturbated a lot and had very little partnered sex. And, you know, we could guess it may be the reasons why. Um, but there are also those folks who are very satisfied with their couple's sex life and also masturbated a fair amount. So, um, so we can't necessarily assume that the one takes away from the other. And for okay. some people, actually, the more, when they masturbate more often, they're more, sex is more top of mind and they are then more interested in being sexual with their partner as well. Okay. So my advice is to have some conversation about it. Right. So it's not either or, it could be right. both and. It's really according to what their partner's perception of their extra relational activities are. And yeah, I know that a lot of women say, I just wish that he would masturbate sometimes because I don't yeah. want to have to have sex every night or every other night or multiple times a day or yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of an honor to be the, to always be there for all of your partner's orgasms or something, but man, it's like a lot of work too. You know, sometimes <laughs> like, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Please leave me alone. Just it makes it more special if the expectation isn't there necessarily all the time. But for right. the woman who has a real problem with the fact that her husband looks at pornography, which many conservative Christian women do, they've just been mm -hmm. taught that that's just a major no-no. What do you have to say to the wife to encourage her to consider that this isn't as much a reflection on her not being sexy to him as it is just his own brain's wiring. Sure. Yeah, I think, so this is, this is such an important topic because porn can cause so much pain in relationships and it really doesn't have to. So, you know, I think every couple needs to figure out for themselves what, you know, what, do, what are we doing with this? Just as couples have to figure every other thing out in their relationship. So, you know, my strong advice here is, unless your partner actually says, honey, I enjoy porn because you are not attractive enough to me, right? Unless those words pass his mouth, do not read your insecurities and your own self-doubt into what he's doing. Right. right? But you know that that is exactly where most women's minds go. Why does he have to look at her? Why does he have to look at that? Why aren't I enough for him? But right. you're telling us that there, it is so much deeper and more complex than just he'd rather look at someone else than you, that that's really not even part of the equation at all, is it? No, most, most people would generally most of the time, I mean, you know, we all have our lazy moments where we just want to take care of business, right? But most people would much rather have a really good encounter with their partner, mm -hmm. right? So like given the choice, most people will choose that. Sometimes though, if that's not available because their partner is not interested and that is their right to not be interested, um, you know, I think it, it's also the other person's right to kind of take care of themselves in a respectful way. Now, you know, I think, you know, things shouldn't be secrets. Generally speaking, secrets are problematic in relationships, whatever the topic. Um, there should be some conversation about it. So the guys shouldn't be sneaking, and I'm going to go gender here, like guys shouldn't be sneaking. But, you know, to the women in the audience, 
if you're dropping the hammer on the guy and freaking out and losing it every time the possibility of porn comes up, he's not bringing it up. Mm. So, you know, like, which by the way is exactly the same thing that's going to happen if the topic is, you know, do the kids go to summer camp this summer, right? If somebody freaks out, the other person's not going to be honest. So, right. so have a real conversation and don't assume that you know what porn means to him. Don't assume, you know, what it says about him or you or the relationship or your sex life. Ask him, ask him. And if you're the guy, don't wait for her. Don't let her guess, right? Like tell her, say, this right. is what it means to me. What does it mean to you? Mm -hmm. And now, Ari, what you're talking about here sounds like such a mature adult conversation. What a concept. I know. Wait <laughs> a second, we have to talk wife, about things? Yeah, for a husband and wife to transcend societal norms and gender stereotypes and cultural upbringing and actually have a real adult conversation about very real issues. Yeah, that takes some courage, but I hope that this yes. conversation is giving them that exact courage because you're right. It is the secrecy. It's, it's when they discover it and they read things into it and that you're right. There's their insecurities play such a big role in that interpretation when what, what motivates that partner is probably nothing like what you think. So right. yeah, continue. Yeah, do not make assumptions and do not assume that what you think about it is what the other person thinks about it. Right. And you know, we can, we can tolerate differences. So, you know, I don't know, like here's kind of a stupid example. My wife drinks her coffee black. To me, that is terrible. Like I do not get it, right? I'll throw in some milk and I'm perfect, right? Good to go. But I don't judge her because she drinks her coffee black. And I assume she doesn't judge me for needing a little bit of milk in it, right? So there's a difference. We will never understand each other, but that's okay. We don't have to. And I understand like coffee is like, obviously it's less emotionally loaded than, than sex and porn are, but still, it is still the same concept of being able to understand you and I don't have to be the same. Mm -hmm. We just have to be respectful and we need to treat each other well. And, you know, that might mean that there are some restrictions put on, let's say porn about like when or where, or I would rather you come ask me, give me right of first refusal, like come right. and ask me. And if I say no, then, um, or there are certain kinds of porn that I guess I could sort of live with and then other ones not. So I don't know, stuff like celebrities hacked iPhones, you know, like something like that, where you're like, you know what? I, I can't really get behind that. that. That feels ethically problematic. So I really need you to not look at that. Right. Other stuff with consenting people who know that they're doing it. Okay, fine, I guess. I hear that referred to as ethically sourced pornography. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Which is exactly what we do. Like, I mean, when we go shopping and buy whatever, like we're kind of doing the same thing, you know, right. hope like some we, of us, right. We want to make sure our coffee is ethically sourced to borrow the coffee analogy. It, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like everything that we buy. We want to make sure that we, that, that we're not violating child labor laws in another country by purchasing that product or what, like, I, I hear what yeah. you're saying. That there's yeah, there's exactly. an ethical way to look at everything. All right. So that leads me to this particular section of your book on page 99. The section, it, it caught my eye. Peace sometimes requires war. I thought that was a brilliant section title. You say, of course, we all have things about ourselves that we wish were different. So we shouldn't expect our partner to be more perfect than we ourselves are. Not only do we begin to see more of the differences between us, warts and all, 
but it also matters a lot more now that the relationship has become more important. Acquaintances don't bother us as much because what they do and who they are doesn't have as much of a direct impact on our life and happiness. With a committed partner, we're caught between being bothered by their shortcomings and therefore want to push them to work on them, but we also don't want to lose this important person from our lives, so we may be inclined to try to ignore the problems. Damn, that's a tough dilemma, you say. <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I hear what you're saying is that you don't want to become so critical. You don't want to be uber judgmental. You don't want to assume all kinds of stereotypical implications of this, but you also need to listen to your feelings in your heart and be able to verbalize what it is that you need. Yeah. So what do you have to say to either partner, really? How does this, like, mimic this conversation for us? Because let's be real. We never heard this conversation among our parents. We never heard it preached from a pulpit. We never heard it taught in a classroom. And many of us have never had these kind of mature adult conversations in our intimate relationships. So yeah. what, what would a productive conversation around these types of issues sound like? So I think it's about... You know, it's about finding a balance between changing and accepting. It's finding a balance between pushing for what we want because it's too important to let that we can't let it go versus, you know, not being a doormat at the other end of things where we let our partner walk all over us. Right. So so I think it, you know, it's really about figuring out what are the things that are the most important, right? We all have to pick our battles in life and absolutely in relationships. Um, you know, our partner is not going to be perfect in every way, but we're not perfect either. So, you know, so, so it's a matter of figuring out what are the things that matter the most? Where do I want to put my energy? And how then, you know, so that I can appreciate the things about you as my partner that I, that I really do enjoy and that are a positive and that adds something to my life. And, you know, when one partner has ADHD and one partner doesn't, it's just, it just sort of exacerbates that. It's like, you know, but it's the same process of negotiating differences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some, some things get a bit better, you know, like I really want you to work on being more on time, for example, right? You're not going to be perfect, I know, but I need you to be less late, less often. If you can do that, and by the way, if I really feel like you're taking it seriously and putting in the effort, even if you're not amazing at it, but you're taking my needs seriously, I'm going to give you credit for that. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, um, like I know that being on time is important to you, I get it, but but it's not, either it's not as much important to me and that's okay, or I get it, it is important to me, but, I, but I'm still terrible at it. Like, it is always gonna be hard for me. I'm never gonna be really on time. I need you to change your expectations. Like, you need to not freak out every time I'm late because you're gonna be freaking out all the time if that's the case. So, mm -hmm. so in that case, you know, to feel like the non-freaking out partner is actually putting in the effort to like take a couple deep breaths and, not simply be silent, but actually to be okay with it, right? So fuming silence is not progress. Um, you know, in being able to say like, okay, you know what? I know my partner is always late. I'm not gonna, like I'm, I, I'm done setting myself up for, setting them up for failure and me up for disappointment, right? right. Where, oh, you're late again, Bruh, here we go. You're wasting my time. You think you're more important than me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, they're always late. So I think I'm gonna find something to do to entertain myself until they get here, mm -hmm. right? So like, 
that's the place to maybe do something in terms of protecting your own happiness as the person doing the waiting. Mm -hmm. And then for the person who tends to be late, to really kind of take it seriously and put in the effort and to really show that your, you know, that your partner's happiness is important to you. So adjusting your expectations, verbalizing your needs, but not doing it in a demanding or critical way and accepting the fact that their priorities may not line up with your priorities and that's okay. As long as Mm -hmm. there's general respect and connection in the relationship, you can deal with these little issues. So talk to us more specifically about, uh, about the sexual dynamic. So what does the partner with ADD or ADHD typically struggle with that causes the partner anxiety? And I'm not talking about the pornography. I'm talking about in the organic relationship between the sheets, just the two of them. What, what are the challenges that come part and parcel with that relational dynamic? You know, interestingly, what I, it seems like once these folks actually get into bed, things work out okay. Like generally, they tend to have a good time. The women with ADHD, women in general have a harder time than men, based on my survey, in to sort of get into that mode, to kind of let the day go and to sort of focus on the moment. Um, Women with ADHD more so than men, also more likely to get distracted during sex. That's a normal thing that happens, no big deal, just bring it on back. But really the bigger issue is getting into bed or wherever and, you know, kind of like prioritizing the time, holding it sacred, not letting other things intrude and kind of following through with a plan. So if you, you know, in the morning, like, hey, honey, let's let's get the kids into bed earlier and try to let's get into bed a little earlier. Like, let's get dinner started earlier. Let's get them into bed earlier. Let's kind of have some time to ourselves. So, um, you know, so it's kind of like Marty Klein has this awesome line where he says, sex is a thing Americans do when they're too tired to do anything else. Right. It's like, <laughs> you know, like our sex life and our relationship it, it is so the leftover to energy, unfortunately. It is. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, this is so important to me that I'm going to do every other thing before we do this. But right. I swear our relationship <laughs> is so important to me. And then climb into bed with you at the point in my day that I'm the most depleted. <laughs> exactly. I have nothing at all left. How about you and I see what, what we can do here? Uh, so, you know, so like that's so tuning a Tuning out distractions. Every- right. You're saying be very intentional, tuning out distractions. Would you suggest even scheduling sex? Some people have a moral dilemma with that and I'm like, get over it. Sometimes <laughs> it's just what you have to do to make sure it happens. I mean, I think there is definitely something to be said for scheduling with flexibility, right? But that if you know you've got it like in, in mind, it's like on your mental docket as a thing that we're shooting towards, hopefully it makes it easier to kind of work your day or your days, you know, work your day so that you can get into bed a little bit earlier or that's so that you can kind of preserve the time so that, you know, the relationship is held important. And, you know, that's really the place that for these couples with one ADHD partner, like that, that's where they struggle is that it's just the managing the demands of life. Just it, sex gets squeezed out too often. And it's just the kind of the logisticals matters of it, mm-hmm. of having the time and the energy. Um, sometimes it's, it's more about having enough good feelings. So in other words, if you've been kind of sniping and griping at each other, 
over stupid things like who left spilled milk on the counter. Um, you know, like you're, you're not as interested in being with your partner at that point. So it just sort of slides past and another day goes by. So, you know, I don't know, I sort of have a line and I probably stole it from someone that, you know, uh, foreplay begins when the last sexual encounter ends. Yes, I've heard that. So it's really about the story that you tell yourself in your head. Yeah. So you can look at the, we'll say the milk on the counter and you can say, oh my gosh, there he goes again. He's so irresponsible. I have to clean up after him all the time. Or you can say, yeah, that's typical of him, but I'm so glad that he's a man of integrity and that he's such a good provider or he's such yeah. a good dad or he's such a good lover. You know, like this, this is how we talk to ourselves when we were dating him. You know, that, yeah. that's the reality is we were willing to overlook all kinds of things because we thought he sure. was great. So what happened to that mentality? Yeah. Yeah. And to look at it as like, this is slightly annoying. Spilled milk on the counter, slightly annoying. Right. Now, you know, if it's a thousand slightly annoying, then it adds up to a lot annoying. Like, I'll grant you that. But, but I think there is something to be said for kind of letting some things go and say, you know what, this is important time for us. I'm not going to let these, these stupid things intrude in. Yeah. I think it's also important for the person who spilled the milk or whatever even if they feel like they're in a rush, and probably they are, to say like, mm, you know what, hold on a sec, just two seconds, grab a sponge, boom, done. Take um, ownership. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And to do a little bit of amends and a little bit of, and a whole lot of showing your partner, I get it. I don't care about spilled milk, but I know you do. So here you go. I'm going to give you this one, right? right. And that, And that generosity is really like, that's all relationships, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just, different you ask, what we need to be generous about and you have to ask who is this more important to her that the milk is wiped up or me that the milk stays there like i i would imagine that right. the answer that is pretty straightforward to asking it from that perspective who who has the bigger vested interest in this issue and if the answer right. is not you then just do what you know is expected that will probably go a long way well and i think it and to sort of play off of what you're saying from the woman's perspective here that it's not about the milk. Like, who cares? The milk does not matter. It's a moment in time. But when it becomes this thing of like, you do so many of these things that I have to pick it up. So therefore, you don't care about me from her perspective or from his perspective. Uh, you're always like, it, it is never good enough for you. There is always something that you're like angsting over and barking at me about. Right. So like, so that feeds into his defensiveness and feeling like he's not good enough or just nobody wants to be on the receiving end of that. So like for him to be able to recognize, you know what, she's having a rough day or like, I get it. Like, I don't care about spilled milk, whatever, but I know she does. This is the stuff that makes her crazy. Fine. I will. I'm just going to let that moment go. Right. And hopefully it doesn't ruin the rest of the evening. So basically it's important for the partner to not die on every hill pick which right. hills you're willing to die on and not make an issue out of every single thing okay so all of these experiences both outside the bedroom and inside the bedroom talk to us about what kind of impact that ultimately has on the self-esteem of the person who struggles yeah i mean it does it absolutely does and you know folks who have especially untreated adhd and if you're an adult today not like 23, right? If you're like a, in your 40s or above, 
and you have ADHD, you probably were not diagnosed as a kid, right? right? Maybe, possibly, probably not. So you've had many, many years of struggling more than you should have, mm-hmm. getting a whole lot more redirection and criticism than you feel like you should have, or certainly than your peers. Um, so, you know, absolutely, it is, it is hard to not feel kind of sensitized to more criticism. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's the person who matters the most to you, you know, to see them disappointed is really hard. Now, the problem is, you know, in those moments, we don't always react well by saying, honey, I'm feeling really sensitive right now because I get a lot of criticism and work is really stressful, right? Instead, we say, oh, come on, you're always on my case. Rah, it's never good enough for you. They get you're defensive too and try to turn the tables and that never helps, does it? Right. Right. And then somehow your spouse who you've just criticized now doesn't, you know, like, so all of their, like, the world is out of control and I have to be the one who's responsible for it all. Now that whole thing gets kicked off in her mind. And, and now they, now she know. doesn't feel loved or cherished or respected or heard. She feels right. villainized. She feels like the Wicked Witch of the West or the bitch in the relationship. And that yeah. never makes her feel sexy. Absolutely not. So like, that's the death spiral. And yes, we all have our moments, you know, some of us more than others, but like we all have our moments. The trick is you try not to go there in the first place, but even if you slip a bit down the hill to climb back up, to say, you know what, time out, or to come back an hour later and say, you know what, okay, that sort of sucked. I think we can both do better than that. Um, And to show some good intentional effort towards each other, to show some positivity, some um, some acknowledgement, especially of the stuff that's hard for your partner, you know, because the stuff that's easy for us, we tend not to thank and appreciate it when our partner does it, because we just think it's easy, you know. So when the ADHD partner comes back around and cleans up the kitchen, to show a bit of appreciation for that. When the non-ADHD partner comes and they discover the dirty kitchen, they clean it up to then not, you know, to, but is sort of like decent about it and doesn't sort of hold it over and criticize to express me, you know, appreciation for that. Like, I appreciate the fact you cleaned the kitchen. I know I said I was going to, like, I'm really sorry. I completely got sidetracked on other things. Just humility. Yeah. Yeah. Humility, ownership. I also think that the lower desire partner who is often invited into a sexual experience by the ADHD partner because they tend to be more eager sexually, like you described, I would imagine that there can be a level of gratitude for that. Because quite frankly, sometimes the lower desire partner needs that tug. They need that pull into that mode, into that mindset. So it's good that one partner is higher desire. So that's a reason for celebrating your ADD partner. Okay, so Two things, Ari, I want you to tell us about the research that you've done, because uh, you had quoted your research study, mm-hmm. and then I want you to tell us if someone suspects that they may have undiagnosed ADD, what steps do they take? Sure. So so the research that I did, you know, as I said, there really wasn't enough out there on these couples with one ADHD partner. So what I did was I put together a survey that was far too ambitious. Like, do not create an online survey for unpaid participants that has 70 questions. Like, just I'll put that advice out They're there. They're not going to do so, it. Yeah, terrible advice. Yet, amazingly, I had more than 3,000 people fill it out. And 
I think what it reflects is the fact that people are hungry for this information. There was not enough out there. So despite my terrible judgment, it worked out really well. But what it did was it gave me a ton of data to really slice and dice and learn some good lessons from, which I put into the, the book ADHD After Dark. So, um, so that, that was a really interesting thing to kind of like geek out on. Um, <laughs> what, was your, what was your biggest takeaway from that research? What was the biggest surprise or confirmation? Um, I think the biggest thing was that, you know, these couples are all over the place. Some of them are doing amazingly well and they're very happy despite ADHD symptoms. Others are really, really struggling. And well, it's not necessarily you know, a death nail, but it can become one. Right. Okay. It's when it's not managed well. And the thing that was really, I think, actually, the most amazing thing was um, I asked people, how much effort do you put into managing your or your partner's ADHD? And generally, people rated themselves pretty well. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great here. Um, but then I also asked people, how much effort do you feel your partner is putting in? either your ADHD or your partner's ADHD. Amazingly, our partners weren't doing as well. Like you're not doing as well as I'm working a lot harder than you are is basically the lesson there. But so that's not surprising because that's like, I think we all could have predicted that we rate ourselves a little bit better. Um, but what was really awesome was the folks who felt that their partner put in more effort, you know, rated their partners putting in the most amount of effort compared to the least amount of effort. Um, were more sexually generous, more willing to share fantasies, um, and had sex two-thirds more often. So from about once a week to like almost twice a week on average. Wow. So, you know, obviously, you know, like the simple conclusion is if you want more sex, manage, you know, put in, make sure your partner knows you're putting in more effort. Yeah. But really the broader lesson here is it's about teamwork right? It's not just that I'm working hard for our team, but I feel like you are working hard, which means one, you actually are working hard. But two is that I'm aware of it. Like we're not always aware of everything our partner does. So, right. so if you think your partner isn't working hard enough, talk to them about whatever the topic, right? Talk to them, but maybe also look a little bit and see if they're doing more than you realize. Mm -hmm. Um, is if I think you're working hard, I'm going to work hard. And if you think I'm working hard, you're going to work hard. Mm -hmm. So again, like the universals come out, right? This is standard relationship stuff. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's basically inspiring each other instead of requiring each other, instead of being critical, yes. being encouraging that we're both working toward the same goal. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. So if someone does suspect ADD right. in themselves or in their partner, where do they go for help? Yeah. So, okay. First of all, if you have a biological relative with ADHD, whether it's kids, siblings, cousins, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, grandparents, if anybody in your biological sphere has ADHD, you need to pause for a moment and consider the possibility because the odds are pretty good, right? There's pretty strong genetics when it comes to ADHD. So, um, so that's number one. But if you suspect it, you know, my advice is find a, a psychologist, a counselor, a therapist, a psychiatrist, maybe a neurologist 
who can do a, a good evaluation. And a good evaluation means spending at least an hour. I do, I do a two hour. Um, maybe you do some rating scales, you know, because they can be helpful. Um, whenever I'm evaluating kids or teens, absolutely always have a parent, even if it's a young adult who's 30, it's still very happy to have a parent there to find out about childhood history. If it's an adult who's coupled up, I always want the, the partner there if we can swing it. Sure. Um, just for, you know, additional perspective. But, you know, really just do a good history. Tell me about your life now. How are you doing? Where are you doing well? Where are you struggling? What about before this? What about your job before this? What about back in school? What about college versus high school versus middle school? Um, what about at home versus at work? What about this job compared to the job before? And those who have ADHD have pretty clear and consistent struggles that run through all of these different times and places. Yeah. But I would imagine that marriage is the place where it really comes into focus because you have someone yeah. who lives with you day and night and is calling your attention to things that maybe you didn't even know were quirky about yeah. you. There is nowhere to hide in a relationship. <laughs> and especially under the sheets. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, Ari, thank you so much for taking the time out to educate us. Again, the book is called ADHD After Dark. Ari, where will they find you online? How can they learn more about you and your practice? So best place to go is adultadhdbook.com, which you know, before I wrote a book on sex, just was a, a book about for adult or was a website for adults with ADHD. Now all of a sudden has this kind of new meaning. Um, but adultadhdbook.com, I've got a bunch of, um, I've got sample chapters from my books. I've got a bunch of recordings of different presentations I've done related to ADHD in general, but also um, specifically on ADHD relationships and sexuality. So mm -hmm. lots of good information there definitely do not reinvent the wheel. You know, other people have learned good things about ADHD, learn from their wisdom and, and frankly, their suffering. So you don't have to suffer quite as much. Mm -hmm. And I have to say off the top of my head, those couples that I have worked with, that this was obviously a dynamic, they're still together. So I love that you have reinforced that this is not a death nail, but in closing, Ari, what word of encouragement do you have for the one who suffers and for the partner? So I'm going to steal a line from a friend of mine. Um, there's this guy, Rick Green, who did the uh, ADD and Loving It um, documentary that aired all over PBS. And he has a line where he says, I used to suffer from ADD. Now I just have it. Hmm. <laughs> and I think it's a great, wise little line because the ADHD will still be there just like the other differences will still be there. So take it seriously, put in some good effort, maybe try some medication, which often works very well with sure. minimal, you know, really manageable risks and side effects. So definitely work at it as you would work at every other thing in your life, but do not take it personally. Do not let it rule your life. Do not let it be the reason why you don't do the other good things in your life and in your relationship. So it Excellent. can be there, but we want it a little bit more in the background, not in the foreground. Right. And it's no different with diabetes or high blood pressure. If you found out you yeah. had something, you would learn how to manage it. That's this is yeah. the bottom line. So what advice do you have for mates? Um, I think the same thing to really kind of take it seriously, to educate yourself about it, but also to know 
when it, it, it isn't yours to fix, you know, like be clear about what's important to you, be clear about your priorities, pick your battles for the things that really do matter the most. And then for the rest, you know, find ways to let it go um, as every other couple does. Great. Well, excellent advice. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to connect with us. This has been another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. If you would like to chime into the conversation about ADD and the impact on your sex life, then send us an email at ontap at shannonetheridge.com. Or if you want to chime in verbally, just call 321-30-ONTAP. Again, it's 321-30-ONTAP. Well, we love you for listening and we thank you for tapping on us. <laughs>